Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, we are the official podcast of the MTG at Home Discord server. If you miss sleeving up your cards and getting ready for an event or just some casual play between friends, go ahead and hit that link down in the description below and make sure you join and play some paper magic with us. I am joined, like always, by my wonderful co-host. I have Alex, I have Matt, but we have a wonderful special guest with us today. Devin, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, um, my name is Devin, a.k.a. Doomwake on Magic Online, Twitch, Twitter. Um, it's D00 and then M-W-A-K-E. Um, uh, I have recently been playing a lot of Modern Green Devotion in the Pioneer format, and I actually won... Um, back-to-back weekends, I won the Mox Magic Online Championship Series qualifier and then uh, ran it back the weekend after and qualified for the Mox as well as the Pro Tour last week with Mono Green Devotion. So. And that is wonderful. So basically, you're going to be our, and unfortunately, we're going to have to dethrone Matt here a little bit, our Mono Green Guru. If I'm being dethroned by Doomwake, I can live with that. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, uh, Alex, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, it's finally uh, cooled down here a bit. So I actually walked through the rain, and it actually felt quite nice. It's like, wow, I've, I've actually missed this. Does it rain a lot over there? Is that I mean, usually, usually, yes. <laughs> See, Florida is what's called uh, bipolar weather. It can rain it can, it, in you know, two minutes. Pour, downpour just be disgusting and gross. And then the next two minutes is bright and sunny and then just flip-flops throughout the entire day. All the while being extremely hot and uncomfortable. Joining me over on the East Coast, Matt, is it nearly as hot over there as it is over here? It has been scorching hot. And we need some rain, so Alex, send the rain this way, please. (laughs) Oh, now we've got, like, we had hot weather, and now that's finally over. And now there's a storm coming tomorrow, so we'll have plenty of rain to hand over to you guys by tomorrow. Well, I don't want rain, or I don't want storms, because I'm notorious for losing power every time there's a hint of thunder. So. Yeah, but I can, like, give you half, so we just both get bad rain. Okay. That- <laughs> Did y'all see that uh, we're about to get hit with two storms at once uh, for the first time ever? Like, in the history of, like, recorded storms, I guess? There's two hurricanes sitting outside with the trajectory aiming for the Gulf of Mexico. So they might join together and create a super hurricane. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, I, I love this year. Tw- 2020 just keeps on giving. And I'm just chilling, looking at the Gulf, and I'm like, huh, my state's right here. If the world doesn't end in 2020, it won't be for lack of trying. <laughs> but we had apparently some Pioneer tournaments go over the weekend. But they weren't recorded, They were, or at least they were. They just never gave us the deck list. So we don't have too much to go off of in terms of the challenges that happened. Uh, Devin, I know you said early, earlier off-cast that it was Team Erect that took down the one on Saturday? Yeah, it was actually... Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the name, but uh, Magic Online Grinder, I believe it's pronounced Batutina. Um, I think it's uh, mm. Carlos Alexandre on Twitter. But yeah, they actually won the tournament they won the challenge on saturday with mono green or excuse me not mono green team of rec um not exactly sure what one sunday though no i've been advocating for this deck uh since we came into this new format with the bands and all the combo being hit 
and it's finally starting to creep up more and more in the metagame percentage. Um, how do you feel about Team Rec or even any Reclamation shell uh, as a whole looking into the format? So that's actually um, something that I tried out first when um, when all the bans happened. Um, the 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 kind of the first shell that I had went to was a Reclamation deck, very similar to what was in Standard before before all the Standard bannings. Um, thinking the theory was that because Inverter was gone, um, there wouldn't be a lot of there wouldn't be as much Thoughtseize is going around, and that's one of Thoughtseize is one of the the best cards against Reclamation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of thought that maybe with the decrease in Inverter and then just the overall speed of the format kind of slowing down a little bit, just due to the fact that all the combo decks were banned and people were you know going more towards Uro, that I, I thought that Reclamation would be pretty good. And actually, I played quite a bit of Reclamation um, a couple of weeks prior to the to the Mox events, um, and it, it felt pretty good. Um, not quite as as consistent as I wanted um, and wanted it to be, but it, it did feel pretty good. Speaking of consistency, you have definitely been the uh, the showcase for uh, Mono Green, which appears to be most the most consistent deck available at the moment. Would you agree with that, or? Yeah, um, I think that's that's a fair assessment. I think with the unbanning of Oath of Nyssa, um, we we talked about this uh, about ten minutes ago before the before the cast. But Oath of Nyssa is basically just ponder with upside in this deck. I mean, it, it, there's literally just the deck is entirely hits, and it also just provides devotion for Nykthos. So just being able to more consistently have your Burning Tree Nykthos draws if you're missing a piece. The way that I look at Mono Green is it's almost like a combo deck. Right, the combo is burning tree plus Nykthos in in a in a in a in a, in a in, you know broad sense, and you know Oath of Nissa just being able to find whatever piece you're missing or your payoff. It's you know it, the consistency that it provides, as well as the fact that it's just free when you have Nykthos in play. It's just it's kind of ridiculous. That's an uh, interesting way to look at the deck, where it's sort of like it's a co- it's combo ish, and therefore you use like your ponder to assemble it, just like how like ponders now already been banned in modern for a long time because it served a similar purpose because i thought when it was unbanned like yeah how how good is oath of nissa yeah like good enough for the deck but would it like take it over the edge and i didn't think so and boy was i wrong but looking at the deck this way like yeah it's a very uh very good way to look at it clearly it was uh, good enough to get kethas banned for no reason i'm still salty that was my favorite deck I already think it looks like you're sitting higher. Is that just a pile of salt, like building under your chair? Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I, dude, I've been trying to make this stupid Tashar combo work and be viable. Like in um, three weeks, you'll have your webcam set up, and we just won't be able to see your face anymore because you'll just be. <laughs> Funnily enough, um, don't mean to get off track here, but speaking of Tashar combo, um, there's been a guy I've been talking to. Um, he uh, actually is pretty decent as far as on his MTG, MTGO uh, lists. Uh, I think it was Trant. Uh, Traft? A, Traft. Yeah, Traft. Because yep. he goes by a different name on the Discord. But uh, he actually has been really... Tra- he was great with Kethis. Um, I was in a Kethis Discord with him when the, before that was banned. And uh, I've talked to him plenty of times about the deck. And he actually recently joined our Discord server and played in the tournament yesterday. Um, and uh, he played a Kethis list, Kethis list, like the Tashar combo, and went he went three and zero. It's a small small tournament, only three rounds, but you know, in small sample size. But he he did pretty well with it. So that that gives me gives me hope. It's just I'd rather it be Kethis. So speak of like uh, 
you know, giving hope or rather taking it away. We keep seeing mono green being played more and more and more. Um, I think it's crept up every week. Do you feel like that's like going to continue because people are more going to realize like maybe this is just the best thing you should be doing? Because it's now been a while for people to be able to find answers to it. And it seems that a lot of people result to, well, why find answers if I could just play the deck? Do you think there's like angles of attack to combat mono green that people just haven't tried yet? I do. Um, I don't think all hope is lost for, for people who don't want to play mono green. <laughs> I think a lot of the reason why it was doing so well in the first couple of weeks is so remember how we, we circled back to the inverter bands, right? And the inverter, which was the best deck prior to the bands, had four fatal push and four thoughtseize. And the only other deck that really was, I guess there was that, Soltai and Mono Black were the three decks that were capable of playing Fatal Push and Thoughtseize. And Soltai didn't really see a ton of play because it had such a, a pretty horrible Inverter matchup. And also, when Inverter was banned, Soltai wasn't going to be that good because a lot of people thought Niv was going to be the best deck. And if you're, you know, in a mid-range battle, Niv just very easily outmaneuvers Sultai. It just has too much, you know, when you cast the card, Niv miss it, the game just over on the spot when you play a five minutes again in the Sultai matchup, right? So because Niv was going to be the best quote-unquote mid-range deck after the new format, Niv isn't a deck that can really play Fatal Push and Thoughtseize because it doesn't have enough uh, into the battlefield untapped sources to cast Fatal Push or Thoughtseize in the early turns, right? So Niv is leveraging more on expensive sweepers that they can find off of Bring to Light or Niv, and they're relying less on the, the cheap interaction. And that is what makes Monogreen so good is the people or the, the deck's lack of cheap interaction, specifically Fatal Push and Thoughtseize. And I think that's why it was basically dominating the first couple of weeks is that they're just, you know, the other quote unquote best deck, which was Niv, had you know, what, maybe one or two Fatal Pushes and a couple Thought Seizes, and also they just couldn't ever cast it in the first couple turns because all their lands come into play tapped. <laughs> so I think that's part of what made Monogreen so good, and I think moving forward, um, we might see a lot more Fatal Push Thought Seizes, like maybe there's a slight resurgence in Soul Tie, um, and then maybe, you know, more sweepers like Anger of the Gods and Kozilex Return, that, you know, s stuff like that to be able to, to sweep up the mana creatures. That's how you, that's really how you beat Monogreen. Is there any deck in particular that if you go into a league, you, you know, launch up Moto to play in a challenge, whatever, is there any deck that you are just crossing your fingers that you don't run into as you're playing Monogreen? Um, it's tough. I, I think because the deck is, is so consistent at what it does, um, there's not really any particular matchup where I, I think I'm, you know, let's say like an 80, 20 underdog. I think the deck that I would say I don't want to play against the most is probably mono black aggro, which a lot of people haven't been playing, but, um, again, just cheap interaction for fatal pushes for thoughts. backed up by a really fast clock and hard to deal with specifically the flyers, um, like the uh, Spawn of Mayhem and Rankle, I think that's that's a deck that I don't want to play against. All right, because when this... Uh, we talked a little bit about this before the cast, too. When this deck initially, when I heard of it first, was still during the Inverter meta, and it was brewed up by Aspiring Spike, and I listened to him on the Pioneer cast, he talked about it, and he said that um, Spirits felt like a particularly bad matchup, going so far as to being like, maybe we should trim a couple of the sideboards, like the wishboard slots, to actually have sideboard slots just for that matchup. And obviously this was before Oath of Nyssa came out. Well, was unbanned, so it was 
put in the format again. Because at the time, now you see Mono Green Devotion being played more and more, but Spirits is being played less and less. At the moment, it's not even in the top eight most played decks. Did Oath of Nyssa make such a difference for that matchup that it's now no longer a bad matchup? So I think there's a there's a couple things. Um, to, to answer your question directly, I, I do think Oath helped the matchup quite a bit. Um, I actually played against the, not the the Mox weekend, uh, the, the finals, Mox finals, but the weekend prior, the qualifier, I played against Spirits three times in the events, uh, three times in the event, then I ended up beating it all three times. Um, and then in our testing session, I actually, I test, me and, me and Traff tested a little bit because he was also qualified for the finals. Um, he was playing Spirits, I played Monogreen, I think I 9 one him or something like that. It was very convincing. Um, and I think the, the reason the matchup is so good is kind of, yes, Oath of Nyssa makes the deck more consistent, so you have your more busted draws more often, but also the most important card in that matchup by a lot is Voracious Hydra. Being able to, um, obviously, you can interact early, like let's say, you know, if, if they're on the play and they play a Mausoleum Wander, you can just play your Hydra, fight their Mausoleum Wander, now you have a pretty good board presence, you know, have a decent start to Devotion, and they have nothing in play, so you kind of gain the tempo back because now they have to maybe start tapping on on their turn um and once they start tapping on their turn tapping man on their turn you can start resolving your threats and then it just kind of spirals out of control and the other reason it's so good is because you can just cast it for five which they can't spell queller it and then it just it's basically a flame dunk goblin it kills every creature in their deck outside of maybe them having a double lord um but i think that's part of what makes the matchup so good is oath making it more consistent and the fact that you can uh, voracious hydra um, around their spell colors. All right, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, and like I said, you're looking at pretty much mono black being the uh, quote unquote the scary deck. And, and I mean, speaking of aggro, I know we touched on this a little bit last week. Um, we're seeing a little bit of a resurgence with uh, some of the older aggro decks of the format, and I use older very loosely. Um, <laughs> look at like uh, Orzov Auras, Boros Feather. Um, even is it Phoenix trying that again? And then there's like 30 different, you know, versions of mono red. It seems we still can't figure out what kind of mono red deck is good in this format. And then of course, worse, you know, Boros burn. Um, that's pretty much been the same since Lurus came out. Um, any of those decks feel, you know, good against mono green or are they just not don't have enough recursion like mono black does to kind of, you know, keep pace. So <clears throat> it's funny you mentioned um, Feather because I actually did not expect to play against Feather in the in the finals event, and I ended up playing against it in, in the top eight, the quarterfinals. Um, we had three incredibly close games that I think I got very lucky to to win that match. Um, but that deck seemed, now that you mentioned I actually kind of had forgotten about it, but that's another deck that might seem like it has a decent matchup because it's, it's again, just all about a fast clock and disruption, right? That's, that is how you beat Monogreen. You, you kind of get under them, disrupt one or two key pieces, and then you can just start, you know, keep pouring on the pressure. That's how you, that's how you beat Monogreen. And they're, you know, like that's, they were on the play and they had a, a turn one hoplite. I played an elf, they reckless raged my elf and attacked for two, played another creature. And I just felt like I could never win that game um, because they're already ahead on board. I have nothing in play. And then they just, you know, like I said, it's a snowball effect. Mm. So that matchup felt kind of bad. Um, the burn, the thing about the burn matchup is, uh, again, we, uh, I played against it a few times testing for the event. The, the issue with the burn matchup is, when they didn't have an early creature, it felt like they were on the back foot the entire game, even though they were casting 
like let's say they're they're trading one for one every turn with with your creatures but they're not they can't really develop their own board they can't apply pressure if they didn't have that that specific one drop on turn one because now they're like let's say they they if they don't have the one drop they have to shock the land of war elf and then maybe you play another one maybe they have to spend their turn two killing it again but they're not applying pressure so you can just like your life total isn't in danger and then you just play a planeswalker and then that's usually i mean that's that's it you know what i mean um, mm -hmm. So the burn matchup didn't particularly feel that bad, but. So when we talked about Feather, where you said it might be a pretty good deck against it. Now, obviously, Feather, I think the only removal it runs is Reckless Rage. So it is quite dependent in that sense of being on the play. Do you feel like that's an important thing with Mono Green anyway? Because with the Elves, it feels like if you're on the play and you play an Elf and your opponent doesn't kill it, it almost feels like the game ends there in some matchups. Yeah, for sure. The 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 deck is is certainly high roll dependent, um, and yeah, there. I guess the the one of the only matchups that I think that doesn't necessarily um, where the die roll doesn't matter as much is maybe the Niv matchup because, like I said, they're a little bit slower, and you can just you know you can potentially out out value them with with your planeswalkers. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely uh, especially in the the aggressive mirrors like against Feather and decks like that. It's definitely very important to, to win the die roll, for sure. It also feels like a deck that benefits a lot from the London Mulligan rule, where I, oh, yeah. I played against someone playing Mono Green uh, last night, and I suppose that sort of harks on this combo aspect, too, that you talked about. It's like, if you're trying to be fair against Mono Green, uh, if you multi five, like, if, if I play like a control deck and I multi five, I feel like new or old Mulligan rule, I don't often win games where I go to five. Where I feel like a deck like Mono Green can go to five, and if your hand is just like Elf, Forest, Burning Tree, Nykthos, Nissa, and you just, I don't know, like draw another land, it's just fine. That's a good five. I could just play turn two or three Nissa. Which is actually really funny, because if I look at Mono Green, like just on paper, like even when the deck first came out, when Aspiring Spike booted up and all that, every time I look at it, even to this day, it doesn't feel like an unfair deck, just looking at it on paper. Like just looking at the cards, you're like, cool green it ramps it finds some planeswalkers it does things but until you get into a game and play against it you're just like oh they get to do everything that can happen yeah it it, it runs nissa who shakes the world so it is an unfair deck okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> which i mean we're not seeing any uh i think that's the only real prevalent war of the spark planeswalker we're seeing in the format right now besides teferi and niv to light but teferi is just teferi regardless and we'll see him to the end of time, unless he ever gets banned. Um, so I think it's always kind of interesting. But of course, you know, Nissa and Teferi are probably the two most busted ones out of that set. But uh, I saw some Demir control decks with playing Narset, and they splashed like a almost one-off fun-off of Days Undoing, just because of the interaction <laughs> with Narset. I made a deck about that, it's so bad. I love, I love that deck, but it's so bad. Narset Wheels is so much fun, though. Oh, you, well, you guys were just talking about Teferi, and I had um, I had an interaction in my Twitch chat where um, we were like brewing over decks, and I and I just I for some reason I hadn't it the, it hadn't clicked with me that Teferi wasn't banned in Pioneer, and somebody was talking about it, and I was like, wait, I just I had just assumed that Teferi had banned Teferi and Pioneer, and then and they hadn't. So <laughs> it seems like it's inevitable, but we 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 can we can all dream, Devin, dream for the day where that card leaves. Mosaicus is unfair. I don't think at the moment it feels like a particularly bad card within the format, but I will agree that it is not fun. 
I was going to say, Alex, on the first ever podcast, you convinced me that Barry was a perfectly balanced card in this format. Well, because I, I said what it did is the most thing it did is it protect Niv, and Niv just looked like a cool deck that played cool big trade binder spells. But if it becomes problematic, that obviously changes. All right. Well, going back to mono green for a minute, um, this is something I've actually been experimenting with, and maybe maybe Devin can give us a little bit of a hot take on this. So. Do you think there's room to have an actual sideboard with this deck? Do you think it should stay a wishboard? Do you think it could be a kind of a mix of both where we have some cards that we're tutoring with the Planeswalkers, some cards that are there to bring in against bad matchups? What do you think about the sideboard state and how can we improve it? So um, I think you definitely want to have a, a fairly diverse wishboard because just specifically Karn and, and to a slightly lesser extent Vivian are just so powerful when like... The reason that Karn, I think one of the reasons that this deck is so good in this format is because of how good Graph Digger's Cage is game one. You look at, I mean, obviously there's there's random, the the Sultai self-mill decks, but even, you know, um, Sultai mid-range decks and the, and the Niv decks all have Uro. You have the Jun Citadel and the Black Green Citadel decks where they have Citadel and Collected Company. Um, there's just a lot of decks that rely heavily on cards that graph diggers cage shuts down that it's very easy to just game one you get to five mana play a car and immediately minus get a cage play a cage and now you know the all the cards you care about out of their deck are shut down um so i think you definitely want a large variety of wishboard targets to make sure that your your card and your vivians um like i said more more so cards stay live what I did experiment a little bit with, going back to when I was saying the mono black matchup was bad, I actually tried um, cutting th the three worst wishboard targets, which depending on you know the expected metagame can be a little bit different. Um, I think the weakest ones are from the deck list that I won the the pioneer mocks with. I would say the Aether Sphere Harvester, the Damping Sphere, um, the Elder Gargaroth, and then at one point I had a second Pything. You know, those are like the the four quote unquote worst ones. And I experimented playing three Hornets Nest uh, for the mono black matchup. I thought it'd be quite good. Um, and you could do something like that. I've seen people also play, you know, a second or third or even a fourth copy of Sky Sovereign, just given how good that card is in the mirror. And they just bring in three Sky Sovereigns, keep one on the sideboard for the mirror. Um, you could certainly do that as well. But I think for the most part, I'd probably want to keep between between 10 and 11 wishboard targets. I think there's realistically only you only ever want to have like a, a quote-unquote four-card real sideboard. That makes sense. Damping Sphere is sort of an interesting card in this sideboard because it can shut off decks like Lotus Combo, but it also kind of screws you as well because it also shuts off Nykdos and Castle Garenbrake. Yeah, so the only reason that I added Damping Sphere to the sideboard is because <laughs> you guys are going to laugh at this. Um, my friend who I had tested a little bit with the event, Connor, um, they were planning on playing Lotus Field in the event. So I was like, I'm just going to troll add this stamping sphere in case I play against him. <laughs> and, then I, and then I played against him in the finals, <laughs> the actual finals of the tournament. And I got, and, and, and that's the reason, like they, they can't beat, they basically can't beat the sphere game one. Um, yeah. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. He's going to be so mad. Um, but yeah, that's, that's ultimately what happened. Um, it, I don't think that I would necessarily put the damping sphere on my sideboard in like, um, like if I were playing a challenge this weekend, because I don't expect a lot of people to play it. But that event was such a small event. There was only 24 people, and I knew actually two of them were playing Lotus Field because CWS Caleb Sher was also qualified for the event. 
Um, so I knew that they were going to be two Lotus Field pilots. So I figured why not play it? But yeah, I don't think in nor under normal circumstances I wouldn't play the Dynamic Sphere. So it was interesting you mentioned Elder Gargaroth as being like one of the worst targets. Now I do feel like there's some matchups, like namely, well, I suppose the thing like Spirits, where it can be a very powerful card. Do you think it's just a worse wishboard target, mostly because you can only get it with like Vivian, which you first need to plus and then kill her, which just makes all the creatures you tutor like worse than artifacts? Yeah, so the thing that I, I noticed a lot, excuse me, was the games where you got to play Vivian, plus it, and untap with it, because Vivian provides so much devotion for Nykthos, most of those times you just had 10 mana anyway, so you were just going to get an Ulamog. You know, there's never a situation where if you have 10 mana, I'm going to get a Gargaroth over Ulamog. There's, I can't possibly think of a situation where I would do that. So because Vivian is a, you know, kind of a, a magnet for damage anyways, because they know about, they know the, the, the potential of Ulamog. Um, and the other thing is the match, think about with the matchups where Gargaroth is good are creature matchups like Spirits, Mono Black, et cetera, et cetera. Those matchups where their board is incredibly wide, you're not very likely to play a Vivian and untap with it anyways. So even if, if, if that's the case, um, in the best case scenario where you're untapping with Vivian, that means you're probably already wide enough where you just have enough devotion to get an Ulamog. Um, so that's kind of why I, I feel like you don't necessarily need the Gargaroth. Is it, it just didn't, those spots didn't come up that often. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I had the same reaction you did, Alex, when you said uh, Gargaroth, because that's probably been one of the most, um, at least looking back at the spoiler season for M21, uh, one of the most underrated cards right for for that set because I, I i had the same reaction everyone else did i'm like cool it's a really cool creature that does a lot of stuff but you have to get it to stay on the board and that made it seem just really bad but like in practice it sticks more often than you really think because again we didn't think about it as like a cyborg card a la um lyra in that in the standard she was in because lyra you just brought in for every control matchup or whatever if the control deck i mean you know I mean, coming in it hardly is a sideboard card though because in mono green nothing is a sideboard well it's a sideboard <laughs> card in a lot of other decks too though like it's even a uh, reclamation <laughs> plays it. it's so it must be so relaxing when you play mono green and moto gives you like these two minutes to sideboard and you could just go away and grab a drink and just wait for the time okay. to expire <laughs> oh yeah I think maybe some people are just reluctant to change the wishboard because they just like it so much. It's just like, you can just hang back. I saw, uh, I think Tan and Grace made a joke where it's like, when you're a like, mono green player like you, Devin, you just write a sideboard guide. That's just thing where people can like pay two or three dollars to get access to your sideboard guide. You just write one for mono green and it's just empty. Just there is no sideboard guide. It's the blank word, Doc. I mean, speaking of that, because obviously you can't sideboard, but what you, how you like play matchups and stuff does differentiate. So how do you like, maybe you can look at like the top matchups, like we can look at some of the top decks, because I'm going to assume you don't mulligan the same way every game. So sure, like whatever your opponent's playing must influence the way you play, certain hands you keep, what you bottom when you mulligan, how often you mulligan. So that might be an interesting thing to go over and touch on some of the meta decks and you can sort of give us your two cents as to how you would play those matchups. Sure. Yeah, we can we can definitely do that. 
Um, you you are hundred percent right. Depending on the matchup, there the mulligan decisions can vary widely, and there's a lot of like there's a lot of polarized matchups. Um, specifically, I mean, we we can obviously talk about the mirror match. Um, number one rule: of the mirror match. Don't keep a hand without an elf. Very very simple, plain and straightforward. Um, if you're on the play, you want elf turn one elf into turn two voracious hydra, so you can kill their elf. That's 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 your best start. Um, specifically in that matchup, you know, it's, it's just about snowballing, right? You, 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 even if you both have elf, if, if the player on the play has Hydra, you're a pretty big favorite. Um, cause then you just have a board, even if, even if you don't have a Nykthos, you just have an elf and, a, and, a, and another thing they're already behind. They can't Hydra your elf. And then you get to play a planeswalker when they have nothing in play. And it's just, you know, a snowball effect. Um, something like Niv to light, um, it's kind of Niv, Niv to light's a little tough because, um, again, they don't have a ton of interaction, like specifically game one. Um, it really depends on, I guess it's, it's tough to, it's, it's tough because uh, like in the events that I played, I knew what my opponents were playing just because it was such a smaller tournament. Um, like for example, when my opponents reveal the Orion, you might not necessarily know whether they're Niv or just guy Luca. And, um, I, I guess for the most part, the Mulligans are pretty similar but um in that matchup elves are important but not as important as just having a turn like for example i would keep a hand that didn't have an elf but had a haven as long as it had a turn three planeswalker because that matchup again is is very attrition based so you're not necessarily trying to have a fast start you just want to make sure that you have you can get under them a little bit like you don't have to have elf and the hydra specifically like the mirror but you want to play a planeswalker early before they start going to to get the the card advantage ball rolling, quote unquote. Um, John sacrifice. Uh, I would say the most important card is Karn again because we talked about Graph Digger's Gage earlier. So very important to have uh, an early Karn. You know, again, it doesn't have to be an elf. It can be a Haven. And actually, Haven's probably a little bit better against them because they play Priest of the Forgotten Gods and Mayhem Devil. So your elf is not necessarily safe. So I'd actually prefer to, mul not Mulligan, but I'd prefer to have a Haven into a Karn because they won't be able to kill the Haven. Um, but yeah, does Karn the, is... Uh, does sorry. Karn shut down with his path, uh, his passive? Does he shut down Citadel? Uh, and only the activated ability, like the tech sa uh, sack 10 things, your opponent loses 10. They oh, should okay. they still be able to play cards off the top. No, Graph Digger's Cage specifically says players can't cast cards from library. Oh, yeah, but I thought he mentioned just Karn itself. Yeah, I was talking yeah. about Karn's passive. Oh, I like got had any uh, realm in that Yeah, and, and the Graph Digger's Cage shuts the whole thing off. Like, nice six drop. Here's my one-mana cage. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I always forget about the passives for the Planeswalkers, unless it's Teferi or Narset. It's Teferi. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, Karn, when I was playing Kethis, Mono Green was my worst matchup in the world. Because they just go Karn, and I'm like, huh, my Mox Amber doesn't work. That kind of sucks. And then, yeah, I, uh, yeah, you go I tried to brew up a combo deck with Power Stone Shard for a short while. And it's that deck is like, I think, with even the lands, it's like 36 artifacts or something stupid. And I played against Mono White, which at the time played Karn, and they just dropped a turn four Karn. And I was like, and I looked at my hand, and all my cards were gray. It's like, wait. None of these work. <laughs> yeah, you talked about um, Jun's sacrifice, uh, and I guess the next. Is that one a deck be... like overall? Because that deck's really come up. 
Is that because its mono green matchup is also just decent? Is you say they have like priest of forgotten gods and a lot of pingers. Like how how uh, uh, how much do you shut the deck down with cage? Like obviously a lot, but how often is just this dirtily three drops scry a lot, ping you st- ping your stuff down magic? How often does that actually work against mono green? So <clears throat> going back to um, Karn being the most important card of the matchup, I think specifically game one, because I'm not sure if they've configured their deck differently, uh, their sideboard differently to have more answers to cage. Um, but the week before the event, when I was looking at deck list, they didn't have a ton of answers to cage. Um, but once you have a cage in play, their deck, again, is is very, very heavily reliant on um, Citadel and company, because th- that's how they gain card advantage, right? So once you shut down their avenues of card advantage and you're just playing a quote-unquote fair game with them, which is, you know, them, you're both just playing creatures, sure, they can still um, activate Mayhem Devil, but you also have um, recourse against that where you have Hydra and um, Car- you can also Karn for Sky Sovereign. But I think once you start playing a fair game and you shut off their sources of card advantage, you can just pretty easily take over with Planeswalkers and, and you can go a little bit wide as well. Overall, I think it's a decent matchup, um, but, you know, they can obviously have their, if they have their one drop into pre-start and then they just kind of, you know, go off on turn on turn three, they play a company or something like they can definitely have fast starts. Um, but I think if, uh, if if they don't interact with your elf and you can get a fast car, as long as you get cage into play before they do something ridiculous, then I think you should be fine. Maybe an interesting card for the Jun sacrifice decks to start running, because they used to run blister pod. But it seems like the card wasn't valued that much because now they just ran more elves because I guess it just makes them faster. But another sort of like throwaway fodder card to combo off, you could they could start running card like uh, Caustic Caterpillar. Might be a thing that they might be able to squeeze one or two in the main deck, which gives them an answer to cage. Because I know post board they've now started to run like two or three copies of Grass uh, Vraska Golgari Queen, which I guess would also be a cage answer. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, yeah, we're definitely seeing that Mono Green, or one of the reasons Mono Green is so prevalent, and it's just a good deck, and you're showcasing this, is that it's really flexible. That's the thing about it. It's It can be the aggro beatdown kind of plan if you go into, you know, turn two, burning tree, burning tree, and then a bunch of dorks, and then a Vivian, start pumping your team. That's a really strong start, and you're not even looking at your wishboard at that point, you're just trying to beat down from there. Um... But one deck I was actually curious about that we have forgotten about this deck several times here on the cast. Uh, it just always seems to kind of exit our brains is uh, Winota. Any Winota shell. How does Winota fare against Mono Green? Because I feel like that sounds like a terrifying matchup to an extent on your end. Or I could be misreading it. It's um, the, the, the only thing I could tell you is it's all about the die roll. That's pretty much the only thing that matters in the matchup. Um, if uh, very similar to the mono green mirror, if you're on the play and you have elf and the hydra for their elf, the game's probably over. Um, and then you, cause you can start snowballing. Also, another thing about that matchup is Karn gets cage and cage shuts off Winota. So that's, I think if you can get, it's, it's similar to Jun Citadel, whereas if you can get a Karn and a cage into play you, before they do anything ridiculous, you should be fine because they're, fair game can't really compete with yours um but yeah they could certainly be on the play and have elf into um war boss into winota and just run you over but yeah the die roll is very important in that matchup 
So we've talked about the the good matchups for Mono Green, and we've talked or we've talked about the bad matchups for Mono Green. And we've talked about the decent ones. What's the deck that if you know your opponent is playing Mono Green, what's the deck you do not want to sit across from them with? So sort of like, so like, what shouldn't you bring to a tournament right now? That's sort of what you want to ask, like Matt. Like, what deck do you just roll when you play Mono Green? Yeah, exactly. What deck is just going to lose to Mono Green every time? And if you want to play competitive. Should just not bring to a tournament at the moment. Mm. I was looking at the top twelve decks. I was I was gonna say Sultai because it's kind of a cop out, but I don't see Sultai in the top twelve. Um, if we let's say let's say we just go by because I'm looking at Goldfish. If we just go by the top twelve on Goldfish, I would say the best matchup for Mono Green out of these twelve, I would probably have to say. Some sort of blue-white control deck. Probably Azorius more likely than Esper because Esper has access to Thoughtseize and Fatal Push. Um, but yeah, so I, I would probably say Azorius control. One that I found, because I've played against it many, many times on this server, and I've never lost. It's not in the top 12, but it is sort of a tier 2 kind of deck. It appears every once in a while as Scissors. I just tend to run Scissors right over. With Monogreen? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, I've I've actually been I've actually I've actually been struggling against scissors. It's funny you say that. <laughs> yeah, I have I've run them over. I've played against them. I want to say five or six times in the tournaments, and I've just huh. won every single time. When I see, because I know you know, sort of like when you were talking about the tournaments, I know what everybody kind of plays in our tournaments. Mm, so I kind okay. of already know what my what my matchups are going to be. And when I see a scissors player as my round one or two. Matchup, I'm like, well, free win. Matt has the sneaky advantage that he can see the submitted deck lists for a tournament. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I do not do that. I am not a cheater. And this, and this is why Matt is on the top of the leaderboards, exposed. <laughs> we got him. So Matt, if your matchup, your best matchup in your eyes, or the one you feel the most confident is against Scissors, uh, what, like, how do you approach it then? Because um, we're talking about how Devin approaches different decks in different ways. Uh, is Mulgan is going to be different every time, uh, and also what you tutor for with Karn, or if, if you want to lean into Karn, uh, what, what do you kind of look at when you're going against uh, Scissors? I just get really aggressive really quickly. I will skip out on a couple of the sort of good but not great turn two and turn three plays, and I will just get really aggressive, try to make a really big Hydra as fast as possible, and just start swinging like crazy before they can start making their creatures big. It feels like Hydra is like a super good card in this deck. Or first of all, like, I will say when I initially like looked at the deck, it's like, Hydra is cool, it's like a mana dump, you know, it does the walking ballista kind of thing where it kills your opponent's stuff, but you can't run walking ballista anymore. But hearing you to talk about it, it seems like it's like one of the better cards in the deck almost. Well, it's removal because it's plus. so important to get the lead mm -hmm. in matchups. Yeah, because it's removal plus. You you get to play it, remove one of their creatures, and then you have a creature. And I'll be honest, uh, I didn't really think about it this way too much because I think of Hydra being like Alex said, a mana dump. Something you can kind of like once you hit your later turns. Uh, well, later for Mono Green being like turn four and five. When um, you've got 12 mana. That's the late game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when like, you hey. could hard cast an Ulamog if you feel like it. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, here's a big Hydra. Deal with it kind of thing. Or just fight another big thing, like an Uro or something like that on the opponent's side. I don't really ever think about it as an early, early turn play. Uh, like you were saying, if you're in the mirror, or someone that plays a dork, you just go, okay, they play their turn one dork, I'm on the draw, I go elf into Hydra, fight their elf, and then I'm suddenly ahead now. Well, then the game's um, probably over, unless you draw like crap. Yeah, yeah, that but, yeah. that's an interesting way to look at it, because, like, again, I'm really narrow in thinking about this deck a lot of times, because I'm like, well, yeah, big mana dump, big creature, you want to get a big thing, that makes sense. But yeah, using it as a turn two removal spell is really cool, and again, it shows how flexible this deck is. Even a small play like that kind of gives you an idea of like it can point any direction. A card in the sideboard that we've I've seen a lot, and you didn't mention it when you talked about cutting cards. I don't know if you still ran it. This Darksteel Citadel. Like, how often do you actually like turn your card into your Sakura Tribe Elder, where like you get a land and it gets killed when they have land removal. Yeah, I would I would say I mean honestly it probably comes up in to give a rough estimate maybe thirty five to forty percent of the games. Oh wow, really? Um, yeah, it, it's so it's especially good when you mulligan as well. Like we we go back to the to the London mulligan. You can like let's say if you you play a Karn, um, maybe on turn three and then your elf dies, um, then you just still have access to a fourth mana. Or maybe your elf doesn't die, but you don't have land five in your hand for Nissa, then you can just go get land five and get Nissa. Um, so it it comes up quite a bit, especially when you mulligan, and then it's also really good to if you have Nissa already, because then you can just make an indestructible three three. Even if like if you expect they if you suspect they have a supreme verdict or, or a wrath like that, um, just being able to get an indestructible creature to protect yourself against wrath is really nice. That's uh, I I didn't expect it to come up so often, but now you've said it, I'm uh, thoroughly convinced. So we've gone over the good and the bad matchups as far as Mono Green is concerned. We've gone over the sideboarding and kind of the approach to, you know, all the different matchups that we have. The one thing I do want to ask is Mono Green in the format that we have right now, is it healthy? And secondly, is Mono Green approaching, I wouldn't say it is right now, but is it approaching becoming maybe a problem for the format? Um... Or is just the style that the um, that this deck and all the other decks around it, you know, encourage for Pioneer? Is that a problem moving forward? Um, it, it's kind of tough to say. So, kind of harkening back on the point that I that I had made earlier, where people just kind of weren't prepared for it. There's there wasn't a ton of early interaction. Like, there's not a lot of wild slashes. There wasn't a lot of fatal pushes. You know, th- those are the cards that make that make decks slightly better against Monogreen when you can interact early and then um, kind of make make sure you don't get run over and then you can you know there are certain like sweepers and, and cards like that that are good against it um as far as you know is it uh is it a problem i think it's a little tough to say because a lot of people that i talk to that i've like sort of you know after after i won the two tournaments they're like oh well i'm just gonna play mono green because it, it seems really good i'm gonna try it out um and they a lot of other people don't seem to have that much success with it it is a fairly high variant stack I, you know i'm not gonna sugarcoat that but you know um just having access to again oath of nissa like we said earlier just being basically just ponder um and I, I think maybe maybe some other people don't necessarily approach it the same way i do in the sense like like remember how i said it was a combo deck or that, at least that's how i like to treat it um yeah. i think when you start treating it like a combo deck you're mulligan you can more aggressively mulligan and you're 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 looking for a very certain subset of hands, um, 
but as far as is it prob- problematic, I would tend to say no. I just don't think that the format has adapted to it yet. Um, again, sweepers, early interaction, stuff like that. That's really how you want to go about beating Mono Green. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a problem. I just think it's a product of people not necessarily being as prepared for it as they should be. Do you now think... they might be? Yeah. yeah. Well, you've you've kind of spoiled everything for everyone. Um, now, do you think? I guess looking at the format as a whole. If it doesn't settle in the way that you're saying, um, and it doesn't kind of meld into having a bit more aggro come up with the with access to things like um, you know fatal push and thoughtseize as far as the the black aggro decks, and as far as wild slash is concerned, the red ones obviously. If those don't come up enough, because maybe because I was thinking like other decks like Niv to Light and stuff like that, and even Soul Tide to an extent, if that kind of comes up a little bit again, um, these kind of decks help push back on the aggro plans and even spirits to an extent because that's the better aggro deck i would imagine um that kind of format where it feels like it's just a straight up mid-range dirtily just you know that's how pioneer is is that the kind of format that you feel like is the healthiest for pioneer is is it something you would like to see moving forward well the way that i i kind of think what's going to happen is i think um kind of I'm trying to think of of how long ago it was, but way back, like prior to Inverter, um, there was a, a good dynamic, like a rock, paper, scissors, you know, and I think that's that's kind of what we're going to see moving forward here is, you know, um, the the decks that are good against Monogreen being the, the more linear aggressive decks. Those decks aren't necessarily as good against the mid-range piles, Niv, Sultai, et cetera, et cetera. So I think what you're going to have is kind of a cycle um, from week to week where, you know, maybe Mono Green spikes a tournament and then people play aggressive decks, aggressive decks spike next week. People play Niv and Uro piles, that deck spikes that week. And I think it's going to be more cyclical. Um, I just think that the reason that Mono Green had such, such success in the past couple weeks recently is there weren't a lot of, um, there weren't a lot of aggro decks. And then we did mention a little bit Teamer Reclamation. I think Teamer Reclamation does have a decent Monogreen matchup. I don't think it's you know necessarily heavily favorable, um, but they do have they do have cheap removal, especially in the sideboard. They have Scorching Dragonfire and whatnot. And they also have main deck Anger of the Gods, which is something that really helps them in the matchup um, because you kind of have to... A lot, a lot of the times against Reclamation, you can't really hold back, so you kind of have to just jam your stuff, because if you hold back, they can Reclamation and and just cast a big explosion, so you kind of have to ex- overextend in some spots. Um, so that match, that deck, I think, is also good against Mono Green. But I, yeah, I think it's going to be more of like a, a rock, paper, scissors, kind of a, a week-to-week cycling of, of things. And I don't, I don't think that'll necessarily be just mono mid-range decks. Okay. Well, that makes me a bit more optimistic. Uh, it's funny. Do, do, I mean, do you do you feel like aggro does actually have the tools to break through that? Because especially that we see mono red, as we talked about, there's like 17 flavors of mono red or gruel aggro, and they don't really seem to crack it right now. Do you just feel like people should just maybe throw it a bit over different axes? Maybe there's a thing they should still explore that they haven't tried. Like maybe more lists should be ember cleave lists rather than torbrand lists, so they can like go over the top of you. Or do you feel like aggro just like needs a push, like theoretically like needs like lightning bolts in order to be fast enough maybe not specifically lightning bolt but like a similar style card right 
I think that the the best card from like if you're looking at it from a red deck perspective, I think one of the best cards that you could put in your red deck to be or to be better against to help your mono green matchup is Goblin Chain Whirler, just because a lot of the a lot of the draws um, where like I was saying, you know, let's say the the mono red players in the play they play. Um, or maybe they don't have a one drop, right? Maybe they have, so their hand, they have maybe like an Eidolon and a, and a, and a three drop. If I play an elf and you don't have a shock, well, now you have a decision whether or not you want to play your two drop, or maybe you have a lightning strike. Now you have to spend your whole turn lightning striking my elf. Whereas if you have a chain whirler, you can give me one turn with the elf because I can't play a four drop on turn two. And then, then the turn after you can kind of sort of catch yourself back up, even though you quote unquote took a turn off because Chain Whirler gives you that option. So I think um, specifically Goblin Chain Whirler is a card that the red deck should be looking into. I don't necessarily know. I think they're, for the most part, is from what I've seen, I think they're mostly on Rabble Master and or uh, what's the, the dinosaur that got banned? No, oh, Frostodon. Frostodon, yeah. But yeah, I think if you want, if, if, if the red decks want to have a better mono green matchup, play more Goblin Chain Whirlers. I think that's where you want to be. That certainly makes me happy because that was one of my favorite cards during that Dominaria, uh, Dominaria standard. Um, yeah, Chain Whirler was awesome. I, I remember it was up to like a, it was almost a $10 card at one point. I just, I love how standard influences card prices so much because you look at cards like Chain Whirler, like, or even Boros uh, uh, Reckoner. Um, you're looking at a twenty-five dollar card during its standard, a ten dollar card in Chain Whirler, and then all of a sudden they just kind of stop being a standard from rotation. You're like, oh, it's a it's a sixty-two cent card now. Unless they're commander first. playable, then they yes, suddenly spike even more. <laughs> like uh, the growing rights of Itlamok from uh, Ixalan. that blows my mind that it's like fifteen dollars. I'm happy I have those already. It's a bad Cyclonic Rift. Yeah, Cyclonic Rift. Rift. Rift was a bulk rare when it was in standard. Maybe not bulk rare, but it was really cheap when it was in standard. What do you think about... No, going back to Reclamation, ridiculous. I saw a recent a recent list. There's a, someone on Twitter, he had a um, had a really good showing in one of the tournaments. Um, actually, it might have been the uh, that challenge that we were talking about earlier. Uh, he said he meant to register two Cyclonic Rift in the main, but actually registered the wrong version of the list. What do you feel about that kind of card in Reclamation? I was just pulling up the list because I think I know who you were talking about. Uh, oh, yeah, because this... So, yeah, the person who won actually did register two Cyclonic Rift, so I think it might have been maybe... Because oh, okay. I think there might have been multiple Rectex in that top eight, so I think there might have been somebody else who also registered Rect and maybe forgot, maybe, like you said, forgot the Rifts. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it that actually seems... It, it seems like it's quite a good card against Monogreen. Um I'm not quite sure how much help they necessarily need, but I guess from from the perspective of, I guess what they're thinking is if they don't have a turn three anger and they fall too far behind, Rift is an incredible catch-up tool. Whereas mm -hmm. like if they, maybe they miss a beat on having turn three anger and I develop a couple of maybe a Planeswalker or two, Rift just destroys that. Like you just, you know, it doesn't really matter what the board state is if you have, if you can just play a wreck, untap, you know, flip some mana, cast a Rift and it, it's basically just game over at that point but yeah that seems like from the from the rec perspective quite a good card against monogreen i guess it's just a good way to get rid of your devotion like it's i can imagine you have quite a few board states where you only have like three lands and like one as wolf willow haven on it and one as a nykthos and that just got you all the mana to cast your stuff so it's not like what people might like think when they think of um rift in commander where it's like oh my board gets rift now let me play my seven mana rocks and a bunch of big guys and 
you know, I'm good in one turn. I guess it's like a can be a real blowback in that regard. Oh yeah. Because if a card I don't want to play against. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I don't like Team Orek is not going to give you like the two, three turns that you need to come back to the board state you were in before. Definitely not. No. Yeah, actually... Once that once they have wreck, they're just going to kill you with explosion. Yeah. yeah. I've actually been playing Reclamation. Um, that's the deck I've been leaning on since uh, they hit Kethis. So I went to the dark side. I was like, you know what? I don't care anymore. I can't play my favorite deck. I don't like any other deck right now. I'm just going to play what I feel like is the best deck, which I still feel like Reclamation is going to end up coming up as the best deck in the format, just once they finally fine-tune uh, what the best version is. I started out in the Simic version that uh, Aspiring Spike put together with your Torrential Gear Hulks and uh, Sublime Epiphany. I've since added red to go teamer to get expansion explosion. However, I'm still running torrential gear Hulk and sublime epiphany, and it's still really uh, very much that simic style that I liked. Uh, with the added addition of the you know the red cards being expansion explosion, obviously the extra reach, and then in the side I actually have the anger of the gods and the um, uh, scorching dragon fires. But yeah, I uh, I didn't really care for the... I mean, I might switch to main decking the Anger of the Gods. I just haven't found it to be too Sounds pretty reasonable. I don't know how yeah. the general aggro matchup is for it, because I've been struggling with that with what sweeper to run, because in my uh, in my usually control, uh, pick of control deck is Grixis, as you know, the others have teased me about often enough. And <laughs> a card like Hour of Devastation being a 5-drop can be really slow against aggro, so I think this 3-mana sweeper might be really effective yeah i was leaning more into the uh, the counter spell kind of like i i had the two two split of uh neutralize and sinister sabotage um and obviously i've sent i'm playing sensor in the deck so i feel like i have enough to kind of keep me alive really uh game one and then i can you know I've won plenty of games going over the top with Reclamation, whether it's an Expansion Explosion or that wonderful, beautiful combo of Torrential Gear Hulk and Sublime Epiphany. God, I love that combo so much. It's just such a blowout. It's a good one. It's a good one. So, we talked a lot about Mono Green. I don't know if there's another matchup you want to go over. There's still some left. Like, maybe, like, we can talk about how you played against, like, Jeskai Fire sort of control lists. I don't know if you want to go into those one a little bit. And then maybe we can move on to talking about some other decks that you enjoy playing. Yeah, sure. We can we we can go over the Jeskai matchup. Um, I did play against it once the week prior. I played against um, Corey Bowmeister. They were they were playing the Luka deck. Um, again, we had some pretty close games, and I think the matchup is overall pretty even. I don't know if one side is necessarily favored or unfavored. Um, uh, again, another we keep coming back to this. Another important card in the matchup: Grafdigger's Cage, because it shuts off the one way that you lose to their deck is when they uh, when they sort of quote unquote go off. They like play fires on turn four, and then the turn after they play, they get Yorin in their hand, uh, play a Luca, Luca their thing, get an agent, agent to steal your thing, play Yorion, blink their agent, and they just kind of go off from there. Um, but Grafdigger's Cage preventing bait Luca from pretty much doing anything because I don't think the other abilities are, are terribly that relevant. Um, yeah, that's another, keep going back to graph diggers gauge, but I think overall, because they're, they're also a deck that has sweepers, it's a pretty close matchup. Um, but if you can kind of get a decent board before they start assembling their Voltron, I guess, per se with, with Luca, then, then, then you should be fine. It feels like you have the edge on them as far as consistency is concerned, because of course we've talked about this before on the cast, 
Um, a lot of decks are leaning more into Yorian because Matt has been a big advocator of it being the best companion. Uh, and um, yeah, you lose consistency when you go that route, though. So we were trying to figure out if that's the best way to look at it, like especially looking at control lists. Do you run a standard 60-card list or do you run uh, an 80-card list with Yorian because you get the extra value from that because you can, but you lose consistency. But I feel like in the matchup for Mono Green versus Jeskai um, Luka, I kind of feel like I want to give the edge very slightly to Mono Green there just because you have that consistency that they don't, and that can put you over the edge game one. Um, I mean, it doesn't even matter talking about game two or three because your sideboard is just you know a wishboard so but yeah <laughs> either way and we keep going back to obviously graph digger's cage yeah, you, you, that that's you just know that you should mulligan to karn yeah <laughs> I, I do feel like because you say a lot of matchups wherein karn and voracious hydra are very powerful cards and obviously the elves are always good so would you say like going into the dark that's often like a thing you would like be safe to mulligan for like you see a hand was like land hydra and like some other good cards you're like yeah you know because of the power of hydra and some matchups i'd be more inclined to keep it even if the rest of the hand is a little bit less good um it's it's tough because hydra is not particularly great against against niv and maybe the other mid-range decks um like i i guess the the baseline in the dark if i if i don't know what my opponent's playing is just something proactive. It doesn't necessarily have to be Hydra. Just something that that you can have, ha, like have a good play on turn three. I think that's where you want to get started by. Like, let's say your hand is, um, I guess not the perfect seven, but like maybe two forest, uh, or th- we'll say three forest, a Lanawar elves, a burning tree, and then maybe like a Karn and a Jade Light Ranger. Like that's a perfectly acceptable seven card hand, regardless of the matchup. If I don't know what my opponent's playing. Um, but yeah, just just have an elf, have a, a good game plan. It doesn't necessarily have to be Hydra, but uh, but yeah, Hydra is good in a decent number of matchups. So that that is worth something worth considering for sure. Well, not to spend too much time on Mono Green, we know that's the uh, the favorite deck here of Matt, and of course you've piloted to a lot of success, uh, Devin. But are there any other decks that you oh. found to be really fun? Unless Matt, do you have a question real quick? I did have one quick question, and it's yeah. something we've talked about before, but I'd like to get Devin's perspective on it. Do you think it could be worth exploring splashing another color in mono green, maybe splashing blue for something like Uro or like Hydroid Crisis? Um, Uro specifically, I don't think would would really work because the double blue is just a little bit too hard. Um, I, I don't think you could reliably flashback Uro on just like if on just four breeding pulls, so you'd probably have to play some number of Yavamaya Coast or, or, or potentially Botanical Sanctum, but one of those, uh, some other dual land. And the issue with when you start cutting forest from your deck is you make your Nissas a lot worse. Um, like specifically, if you just have a Nissa and five forests, you know, that's already uh, Ulamog mana. So um, I, I just think that making your Nissas a little bit worse, um, especially because you have Hydra and then you have like, Karn is in some matchups essentially a nine mana play when you could play Karn minus and immediately cast the boat. Uh, Sky Sarlin, excuse me, not boat. <laughs> but yeah, I think when you start cutting forest from your deck, making your Nisses a lot worse is is ultimately not worth it. 
The one card I had considered um, potentially trying out was Aethergust because of how good it was against in the mirror, obviously. It's great against Niv. It's it's a, a huge tempo play when you get to to Aethergust, their Bring Delight or Niv Mizzet, uh, or even their Hour of Devastation. It's just a backbreaking play. Um, so I'd consider trying Gust out, but ultimately I decided that it, it wasn't worth it because you you make your Nisses a lot worse when you've got Forest. Yeah, that's a very fair point. We We kind of touched on that a little bit last time we talked about this. And we were looking at the idea of splash, splashing blue almost makes the deck go into a different direction. Because we did see a few lists that were sort of like mono green, but they cut Karn and to actually have an, an actual sideboard. Because if you're going to go into blue, you might want an actual sideboard at that point. And then going to Hydrocrasis and things like Uro and stuff like that. And they trimmed down Nissa to, I think, a 2-of instead of being a 4-of to compensate for not being the main blowout Planeswalker of your deck. Um, but yeah, moving on, we kind of want to talk about some other decks that you've played, Devin. I know I've tuned in for a few of your stream, uh, streams, and you've certainly played more decks than just Mono Green. Um, if Mono Green, this isn't going to happen, but let's say Wizards just feels like, you know what, Devin, we heard this podcast, you're right, Mono Green is a combo deck, no more, we're banning it. We don't want those <laughs> in this format. We can't let them listen to this podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> Like, wait, combo? We didn't think about it that way. <laughs> what deck are we moving to, uh, Devin, if, uh, if Mono Green just becomes not the viable deck anymore, or it's just banned? Yeah, maybe it just gets pushed um, out. You know, well, sure. Yeah. 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 So, uh, honestly, similar to similar to Brad, I've really been liking Team of Reclamation. Uh, a bunch of my... Uh, we There's like a, a Facebook group chat we have where couple some mtgo grinders and a few of them are playing team of reclamation uh to some good success so if for some reason if maybe mono green gets pushed out of the format or ultimately they for some reason they would they'd potentially decide to ban oath of nissa um that's where i'd probably go next um I, i've actually kind of been playing a little bit uh in between because I, I do get a little bit bored with mono green sometimes it's not the most interesting deck per se um, but yeah, I've been playing a little bit of, of team of reclamation and I've been loving it again. I think the mono green matchup is decent. I think you're a pretty big favorite against most of the mid range Euro piles. Um, you have main deck anger to beat mono black aggro. It's, it's almost like it, it feels like team of reclamation just has answers to everything. So that's, that's probably where I'd go next. Yeah. I still think it's the best deck. I just think it hasn't found the right shell yet. Um, we yeah. even saw the, uh, it was Bant. A couple weeks ago, there was a Bant Reclamation deck that was just essentially blue-white control, but that was also playing your, you know, obviously your Uros um, to Growth Spiral, the green, your Growth Spiral to give you ramp, and then Shark Typhoon, all that good stuff. Um, so, I mean, even something like that, I think Reclamation is just a good enough card. Again, it's banned in Standard, it's banned in Historic, um, regardless of what you think about that format. It is still a legitimate format in the eyes of Wizards, so they definitely want to taken into consideration and I, and historic's weird though you know burning tree emissary is also banned which i think is super weird uh i i, I don't think it's that weird did i miss I, something I, last time i checked gross spiral is still perfectly legal and historic because when i no when no they burning tree oh, burning, burning tree emissary is banned it's suspended i think is uh they didn't ban it like field of the dead it's suspended okay i well, believe regardless I mean, I do think it's like I I can see with that card because I found um, was he playing against mono green? Or sometimes burning tree can lead to the most frustrating draws. Like you're playing 
uh, an aggro deck or something on the likes, and your opponent just goes like turn one elf, turn two burning tree, burning tree, jade light ranger, and you're just like, what am I supposed to do against two zero mana two twos as an aggro deck? So I do feel like burning tree can lead to the sort of frustrating and like especially those powerful. Like I think it's just burning tree makes it possible to play turn two Nissa. Like it does. Well, I agree with that point, but I mean, there are other cards that they could ban for that. Same I, I mean, I wouldn't sure. advocate for a ban now in any way, because I think mono green is it's very powerful, but there's there's ways to combat it. Well, it was scary because of Gruul. Gruul was uh, the top deck at one point, but now that field is gone, it opens up room for other aggro decks and everything. I don't know. I feel like I I think that is also a, a point. Bring up Gruul. Uh, I think that definitely heavily impacts the pioneer format is um the lack of good mana for like the one half of the color pie of course where i feel like gruel aggro has a lot of good tools to be a very powerful deck but it just loses to itself right and if, if you have a a deck that only plays magic 90 or 95 percent of the time that's just probably not good enough to be a top contender yeah i mean Embercleave is good I feel like, I mean, I've, I honestly, it's weird. There are cards I, in Pioneer that I just kind of forget about because I don't play Standard much anymore. And whenever I'm on the server or I go on mode or whatever and I randomly come across a deck that's just, you know, they, I say no blocks to like, okay, whatever, three power, I don't care. And all of a sudden Embercleave comes down, I'm like, huh, I forgot that was legal. I forgot that was a card. Um, I'm sad to see that it exists. Too bad. But yeah, I think, I think Gruul... I think that would be the biggest shakeup for the Pioneer format would be if we got the allied Fastlands um, to kind of mm-hmm. help everything out. That would open up so many different decks. Because, again, you're right, Alex. It restricts a lot of deck building um, and just innovation for the format because you're looking at that color pairs or those color pairs and you just say, well, the consistency is really bad. So... I mean, if you have to run four mana confluence in a two-color deck just to fix your mana, that's probably saying something about the state of your your mana base. And the show lands are bad. Um, I yeah, I don't know if you've ever had a hand with game trail and mana confluence before. (laughs) Oh, game trail! The amount of games that I won over game trail while not playing the card myself. (laughs) Turn one, game trail, go! And I'm like, oh, I feel for you, buddy. I. I cannot stand all the show lands except for Foreboding Ruins, which is the Rakdos one. Yeah, but for that's just because reason, it somehow works when you play yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know why. I <laughs> Port Town with Azorius Spirits, garbage. Hate it. I cut it from the deck, just played four mana confluence, and I said, you know what, I'll do this instead. Um, I'd rather play Unclaimed Territory even uh, for Spirits. Uh, game Trail, garbage. I don't even like Gruel that much anyway. And then... For some reason, when I play a Rakdos deck and I have Foreboding Ruins, I just always have the land to show. I never miss it. I'm like, cool. We're good. That For some reason, Rakdos is fine. They, 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 we can make it work. Um, but that's another deck that uh, I guess they don't mean to backtrack, but there are two decks I've actually thought of um, in the last 20 minutes against Mono Green. Rakdos Pyromancer and Dredgeless Dredge. Those feel like moderately or even positive matchups against it. 
Um, I've played against the Rakdos deck a few times, and I've gotten utterly destroyed by it each time. Just again, they're a deck that has a bunch of cheap interaction. They have, you know, Fatal Push, Thoughtseize. They even sometimes have, I think they have Wild Slash too, from, from what I remember. Um, so they have the, the disruption that you need. They don't necessarily present as much of a clock, but it doesn't really matter when they have, you know, so I guess like going back to mono black, right? Mono black doesn't have as, as much disruption, but they have a faster clock. The red black deck just has infinite disruption. So it's basically going to stop you from doing almost anything, no matter what. Um, so yeah, that matchup seemed to be pretty bad for me. It didn't really matter whether they had a clock or not. And then as far as the dread, dredgeless dredge matchup, um, that, again, is another matchup that revolves heavily around cage. Try and find cage. Do you get to put a cage into play before they do anything broken? Um, that's really all the that's really all that matters. The, the Rectal deck, I always describe it as um, it feels like the most modern deck in Pioneer. Like super low to the ground, hand attack. Like it, it like probably like the lowest curve out of a like non straight up aggro deck. It, it it feels really modern esque to me. Claim to fame is an underrated card. But- it's Which just... is cool. Like, if you're a modern player and you want to like get into Pioneer and you like the modern style, I think this Rectal deck is just super cool. Yeah, it's just bad on Earth, but it's still good enough for the format. Good I mean, you can flash game. it back to give your Crocs a haste, which is probably an immediate game win. That's yeah, that's my favorite thing to do. Is you just keep basically going into you know you'll go Croxa and then you play your Claim to Fame to bring back a Croxa, keep keep them discarding their hand, um, go Luris, replay Croxa. You play your disruption, your kill spells, and things like that. Um, and then you even have Call the Dwe- uh, Death Dweller in a few lists, uh, just to be able to go, okay, Stitcher Supplier's back, Acrox is back. Or, um, some lists, mine included, play three copies, or maybe four copies of Knight of the Ebon Legion, just to give you a little extra you know, outlet to kind of go into as far as your aggro plan. That way you're not 100% reliant on, like, okay, I need this Croxa to come in. Because if they do bring in a cage, like Devin's saying, with Mono Green, for example, you at least have another creature to lean on and be like, okay, this isn't completely around the graveyard, so I can at least kind of pump it, kind of get in, force you to block, and make some trades. So, so would you say the Pyromancer deck might just be not as well situated in the rest of the meta? Because if it has such a, well, maybe you like a small sample size, which is a good Mono Green matchup thing. Do you think people should just start picking up that deck more? It might be the mana base. I think maybe it might have a bad Niv matchup. I haven't I haven't actually seen that matchup play out before. I could I could potentially see it because it again it, it can't really present that fast of a clock and it feels like sure, like you you know, you can you can thought seize them a bunch with, with Arcanist and Thoughtseize and stuff like that, but if they ever just draw a haymaker off the top like a Niv or a Bring the Light, you kind of just undo all of the things that they did all their card advantage engines when you just, you know, play a 6-6, six, six, it's hard for them to kill, and then draw whatever, four, five, six cards, then. I, I think yeah. from... the And they also have sweepers, too, so... I think I feel... to Light is the best top-decking deck in the format. So when you're yeah. playing a almost rack-style uh, deck where you're like, okay, discard everything you got, it feels really bad when they're like, hey, Niv on the top. Okay. Yeah, as as someone who's been thought seizing his opponent for years, nothing is scarier than the top of your opponent's deck. Yeah, like every draw step is just sweating at one point. <laughs> well, you guys know the magic online thought seize bug, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that happens to me in paper like regularly. 
Just like the Moto Scrybug, right? Yeah. Where at least that was more back in the day where you'd or like you'd opt and you scry and you put a card on the bottom and you draw the same card. And I've at one point even gone to my opponent, like, can I just look at the bottom of my deck? I'm just confused. Like this is the third time today. <laughs> like I can't tell you how many times like I'll um I'll be on arena, scry someone on the bottom, draw the same one on top, I'm like I put you away. I, ch- I click on the library, scroll to the yeah, left, just to check like, the bottom huh, of the deck. Like, hmm, it's there. I guess we're. I guess we really want to have this card right now. It's always the worst card, and that you could imagine for the matchup that you're against too. Mm. Like a fatal push against blue white or something. <laughs> oh God. Actually, that's the. You know what's funny? Um, playing things like reclamation um, and stuff like that. Uh, or even before I was playing Reclamation, I was playing um, a version of uh, of Delirium uh, that was actually Jund. Um, so it was basically kind of the same idea as Soltai, but instead of leaning into Uro, you're leaning into Croxa and going a bit more aggro with it, uh, with things like Warbringer and Hazaret as tutor targets. Um, had some fair success with that. And before that, I was Rakdos Control. But the three, the thing that those three decks all have in common that I like a lot, whether it's something like Croxa... Or you know the uh, the Shark Typhoon as being your really only pushable targets in the deck. My favorite thing is when I'm going against a black deck that plays Fatal Push. It it's great because you put them in a weird position where it's like you can side out your push, but then not have arguably the best kill spell for my Crocs or my Shark Typhoon, or you can keep in the push and then have it be dead against literally every single other thing in my deck. Um, so I'm a really big fan of you know decks like that that force your opponent to have a really awkward sideboarding decision. Because um, there are plenty of times where they're like, yeah, I just have three push in hand and you don't have anything to push. <laughs> Even with Revolt on. I wish Glorybringer was good again. I'm such a fan good. of that card. I think, I think Niv just shuts There is out. one personal Moto that like has 5 out for like two weeks in a row with Chunky Red. And I think I shouted him out last week, I forgot his name, but you're a legend. Showtime, I think? I think it, I think I remember seeing a, po- a Twitter post about that, I think. Might be him, yeah. Are there any decks, um, Devin, that have been a deck in the format for Pioneers over the last year that you think are uh, bound to come back? Or they just feel like they, they the meta right now could actually be a good spot for them to come back, but they just haven't caught on yet? Um... I mean, honestly, it, it's kind of funny going back to what what Maddie was saying uh, some bit ago when he was re- when he was referring to the the scissors matchup. I have not had the same success. I mean, to be fair, I've only, I think I've only played it twice, maybe in the past few weeks. So it's very very small sample size. But I felt like I was getting run over by that deck. Um, and if that if that deck for some may or may not have a good modern green matchup, um, it seems like it has the tools to be able to go under Niv, especially if it's on the play and can maybe play, you know, an insole on a Citadel, which they don't have a ton of answers for, especially early. Um, but it seems like that deck can certainly go under Niv. It goes bigger than most of the other aggro decks because they just make a bunch of five fives. And most of the aggro decks are playing um, damage based removal, think Wild Slash and Chandra and stuff like that. So you can't really kill a five five. So I if, if honestly if anything, I think maybe maybe scissors would would be my consideration. This might be a toss up between. I know there was scissors had a a, a sort of like back and forth between running uh, running or not running steel overseer. I think that might be like the type of card where I can imagine against mono green, 
for example, which might be worse against Niv, but better against Monogreen, where if you stick it, you're just like for two or three turns in a row, just even like your Ginger Brutes start like getting in for four, because it's obviously harder to answer that. I think that might be just a type of card that might already be good against Mono Green. Like this sort of card, it's it's really easy to remove, but if you don't, it like accrues a lot of card advantage or like a lot of power onto the field. For sure, yeah. Definitely. That, that, that That's the type of card that you want against Mono Green. It's exactly like you said, where if it if they don't answer it, which Mono Green doesn't have a ton of answers for it, and it, it has, stays in play for, you know, two, three, four turns plus, then you could take over a game like that. Yeah, definitely for sure. And obviously we're very early in this new format this is only like what this is week four we're in week five since the bannings um we're approaching a month it was august 3rd yeah i think so was the ban so yeah we're, yeah, we're yeah, not yeah. even a month in yet um if there were to be a banning in the future which it's inevitable we're gonna see one eventually um whether it's something that's brought in by the new Zendikar set that just breaks open a card that's already here. Um, most likely. Yeah. Given given the most recent card designs, most likely. <laughs> yeah, and I know uh, Mara already said that, like, hey, we're, we've really pushed green the last year. This, we got a couple more sets of that to come out because the way it lags behind play design and, and actually releases. So Landfall coming back almost guaranteed right if that nissa leak is anything to go off of um which i don't know if you pay attention to that devin um any of the quote-unquote leaks for new sets before spoilers kick in but uh i do from time to time i didn't i didn't see this particular one though i've seen one leak with a card like a proper card like there's an actual picture of it and today i heard that the the lands where you can come in and you can decide which like if they're like a plains or an island I've seen that spoil, but I haven't seen any pictures of it, but it was from, like, the same person who spoiled, like, almost the entirety of M21 and was right about all of it. So... Clearly they must work or know someone who works... Uh, yeah, that's someone who's going to get sued once they find out who it is, I think. <laughs> yeah. Treading dangerous grounds, that person. All for that internet clout. Yeah. Um... All for the... <laughs> what would you want to ask, uh, Brad? Before we derailed you. Well, I mostly derailed you, sorry. I might have blanked out. I could always edit this part out where I'm just contemplating what the fuck I was saying. Um, yeah, You're talking know. about with Zendikar coming up, maybe some new cards breaking open. Oh, yeah. Uh, if if anything like that were to occur, where, you know, obviously we have things get broken, like, you know, Thassa's Oracle having this wonderful interaction with Inverter of Truth. Um, I don't know if it's going to be anything of that nature, but... Are there any cards that you have on your watch list that you feel like are definitely on the chopping block to potentially be banned in the future or ones that Wizards are certainly keeping their eye on? I would probably... I mean, obviously, Oath is kind of a cop-out, right? Because they just unbanned Oath. So I think they're they're definitely watching Oath closely. Um, I think maybe the other one is... I know we talk about it a lot, but honestly, maybe Team of Reclamation. I mean, it's a card that's been banned in Standard and Historic, as we said previously, and it, it just seems like a card that generates an, a ridiculous amount of mana. And that's cards like that generally are, are where we where we have problems. So I would say those are probably the the two that are on my watch list. And I think what, what Brad was going back to earlier, it's just people haven't necessarily found the right shell for reclamation. And once yeah. they do, we're gonna we're gonna know it. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like the top like 
one of the top decks now. The top deck probably be more mono green through Nykthos, like generates more mana than it should. Fires is coming up, which effectively doubles to even triples your mana on some turns. And then Reclamation also doubles your mana. So it sort of seems to be this like recurring theme, which we keep seeing over and over everywhere, where it's like having more mana than you should is probably the best thing you can be doing in any format at any point. Which is also what sort of makes Uro so great. It's yeah. and the ramp and the payoff. And even even like when you spend four mana for a six six with all that text on it, it feels like you're cheating on mana too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. But you need to have five cards in your graveyard. How are you ever yeah. gonna do that? By like playing Seder Wayfinder and now having an unblockable one one because they never want to kill it. <laughs> it, it always makes me sad looking at Uro just because it, it's just so much better than Croxa. It's not even close. Like I've been saying this for a while. If they would have put Uro on the same plane. As, as the design space of Croxa, where Croxa does two things, one of them being essentially is a conditional idea. If Uro did the exact same thing on a two-plane spectrum, rather than doing three things at once guaranteed, it would be fine. Well, maybe not fine. It'd still be incredibly pushed and very strong in a format staple. Um, I, I'm sure it would still see play in Modern, too. I think a big problem for pushing back aggro is the random life gain. Like I watched uh, Jim Davis play Simic Ramp in Standard against Sultai Ramp, and at one point, both players were at like 35 life. Just They were just playing the game back and forth, killing each other things, casting Uro, and they were just at 35 life at one point. It's like, mm -hmm. if you're playing a red deck and you have to kill someone who has like the starting life total of a commander game rather than a normal game of Magic, like, how, do, how, do you, how are you supposed to beat that? And also because... Because Uro has six toughness and all the planeswalkers go to six, and for some reason Fry does five damage. Oh. I'm still sad about that card. They had Fry. I was like, oh, oh that's such God. a nice card. And then Oko to six. Well, they admitted um, that like during the design space of Oko, they kept Fry in mind, and they're like, we intentionally put Oko to go to six on his loyalty because we thought it'd be really <laughs> bad for our players to go like, okay, here's my three mana cool face of the set uh, planeswalker, Fry. It dies. And they, they admitted that's why that's part of the reason they said we want to do plus two. And I'm like, but but that's the point. That's the point of a color hate card. <laughs> that's the point. You're supposed to feel bad. It's a color hate card in specific. That's what that whole cycle I mean, was. How do you, you look you at that? You have to read some of the notes. I, I don't know if they still publish them, but they usually... I know they did it for Theros, too. You can read the, the design notes they had with cards, yeah. and some of them are really funny. Because then they like sort of joke around, and it turns out to be a disaster. Where it's like Thassa's Oracle didn't have the win the game text on it, but I didn't think it was exciting enough. So they wanted to yeah. add just something cool, and then you get this. Or when they printed Field of the Dead, they mentioned, yeah, might be a fun combo with Scapeshift. Yeah, might be. <laughs> to, to be fair, though, Field of the Dead in a design space like that feels like a card to be easily overlooked because it was. Everyone looked at that card when it was spoiled, and they're like, "Ooh, commander staple." Yeah, yeah well, you can probably get to seven lands eventually. It seems like a, a little bit of a build around, and you have to work for it, but it seems kind of cool. But the thing that people kept forgetting is it was not legendary, because I think a lot of people looking at that card assumed it was legendary. Assumed it was legendary. Yeah, because yeah. it feels like it should be. Which, if it was, I think it'd be legal and. I mean, it, it, formats, it's definitely right? a thing that Magic has a downside compared to Digit to. Uh, 
like it's digital to an extent, but like actual digital card games, right? We can never really go back and thoroughly errata cards. Like yeah. Yu Gi Oh does it, but it's kind of just robbing its player base because you just get a card and you just read the text, and it's like this is totally not what the card does anymore. Yeah. But like making field legendary, adding a mana to a card, uh, it's just a thing that can't happen here. And I will say, over all the like, you know. Uh, trash talking we tend to do over Wizards of Design, like we do it, Reddit does it, everybody does it, right? Things like Uro and Oko. I prefer a wizard that tries to make cool cards and then makes busted cards than having ho- every set be homelands, where just nothing happens. Like we just get a set full of like five mana, five fives, and six mana, six sixes with flying. Like I prefer this over a wizard that never tries. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I'd rather have them push the envelope and break it from time to time than do nothing with it. Uh, but I don't think there's anything egregiously broken like uh, Oko that's existing right now. Um, but I mean, I mean, Oko is one of the best cards of all time. Yeah, um, yeah. But that one's just kind the of the only like... one that I could. The only one that I could see maybe on that level is potentially Uro, but. Specifically in, in Pioneer, I don't necessarily know if, if Uro's quite there yet. I feel like Uro... I mean, we talk a lot about Uro. Yeah. I feel like for a lot of decks, he is fairly manageable. It's mostly the aggro decks because of the life gain, and he's a 6-6, six, six, right? Just such a brick wall. But like even out of like a control strategy, like I've started like running cards like Void Shatter as my counter spell, or like <clears> running, you know, the random Cling to Dust main deck. A Soul Guide Lantern is a very good answer to it. I feel like mostly the fact that he brick walls aggro is like the biggest problem with Uro. Because it's not like modern where you they bring him out on like turn three and four and five and six. And it's like, how the hell are you filling your graveyard this quickly? <laughs> I wonder Yeah. It makes me curious as to how, like, it's always interesting to see how formats shake up and kind of uh, evolve over time to have that self-policing kind of fix themselves kind of thing. Because we talked about this last week, Alex, how, like, uh, Modern has that wonderful cycle of, like, three months, these are the top decks, next three months, these are the top decks, and kind of rinse and repeat and kind of always go through this evolving uh, metagame. Um, One thing about Pioneer, when we look at it in that aspect, is interesting where we have these cards that are really good like uro and things like that that you want to exile but we're not seeing a lot of exile removal being played partially because it's four mana and everyone's kind of deemed four mana to be a bit too much but there are cards that we have one that people forget about is epic downfall is that too narrow and what is that the exiles a card Uh, that's cmc3 or greater from from eldrain i mean the problem here is greater like if your two ma- if your removal spell can't also kill one or two drops, even though you probably generally want to kill three drops with it, it's kind of the reverse that you're now getting in if you have removal decks where you play a lot of like fatal pushes and now eliminate being a very popular card. Where mm. sometimes your opponent plays a five drop. Like I had it against the sort of terror of the peaks indomitable creativity deck. And they uh which is has a lot of non creature cards in it, so I bore it into like negate. And my opponent just hard cast a terror of the peaks. And um, my hand was something like two eliminates a negate and like a fatal push at left in. And it's like, Ooh. but this is a five drop. And I feel yeah. like a card like Epic Downfall is just going to have the opposite problem 
where there are some three mana problematic cards, but then like your soul die opponent just plays a Jace. And it's like, uh oh, can't kill that. And a flip Jace is also very scary. So like Uro is a card you have to deal with, but if you can't also deal with the cheaper cards, which is obviously a thing in this format, right? Where the older your format gets, the more lower to the curve your cards are going to be. I mean, even being on the play and your opponent like plays a turn one elf and you go, all right, untap, play second land, eliminate it. You don't like it, but the fact that you have the option is always good. At that point. Yeah, you kind of have to at that point. And with your epic downfall, you you just can't, and you're you're just sad. Even the Hydra stays a two drop, despite the X. Granted, we also don't see Hydra played too much because of Fatal Push existing in the format. Um, but I mean, I suppose in the decks where it's the best, like a Simic Ramp style deck, where you go, okay, you can push my fourteen fourteen Hydra, but I drew six or seven cards, so I don't really care. Um, so, well, yeah, it's I, the angle of attack, right? Like you said, you like decks where like oh Fatal Push, where you talked about Croxa. Where like mm-hmm. fatal push is a it's a good card, but mono green does still just have the angle where they just have the planeswalkers, where your yeah. cards like fatal push and eliminate aren't actually good. Yep. Like you described uh, Devin earlier, where sometimes there's matchups where you actually don't really care about an elf. You'd rather just have like a wolf willow haven, and then you can play a four mana walker on turn three. So, and that's we talk about the flexibility of the deck, which feels weird to say about a mono green deck. Where it's like, wow, this deck is really flexible. Well, it's a mono green deck. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a lot going on. It's got a lot going on for sure. 2020 magic, that. boys. <laughs> the mono green mean. decks are flexible. When I go against uh, mono green, I cannot tell you how happy I am when they go turn one fours into Othanissa. Because I'm like, oh, I would man. much rather see that than oh, that is deck. Because I'm like, okay, you have nothing in hand. You kept a sketchy hand as far as I'm concerned in your kind of goal from there. Um, that might be a bad read on my part, but like I'd rather see that than an elf. Because at least when I see a turn one elf, and I'm like, hmm, you got something. You're going into something. But they the always have it, and if they don't have it, they top deck it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, it's like any black deck you play against always has turn one thoughtsies. Like, always. And if I'm going against Grixis, they always have thoughtsies and a thought erasure, and then I'm like, okay, cool, you have all the discard spells. Or you, you feel good about yourself? Feel like a big man? You know what, Brad? I actually do when that happens. (laughs) I do actually feel like a big man. (laughs) Did you see? I sent a a screenshot to the chat for the cast the other day. Did you see it, Alex? It was going. I was going against uh, Grixis. It was a picture of the opponent's graveyard. There were two thought. Oh yeah, three thought erasures and two thought seizures. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay. That's my type of magic. Where like nobody gets to do anything, and I lose six life for some reason. <laughs> it just, I mean, yeah, it's the epitome of a Grixis deck. Do absolutely nothing the entire game and hope you stumble into the win. I mean, you talked earlier about like we might resort back to sort of like dirtily mid range format, but I feel like that is like a good thing about the current format. Is it? It is mid rangey, but the games generally don't take forever. It's not like you know you nobody's playing like. Deck, have you? Like, nobody's playing, like, Elixir of Immortality Blue-White Control, right? Or, like, when I tend to win with my control deck, I have approximately 15 cards left in my deck before I finally win a game. And there's very few decks, at least there's a lot of decks that don't do that. Like, games do tend to go fairly quickly, it seems. I don't know, Devin, like, playing on Modo, 
you have the same experience where it doesn't feel like a like a dirtily mid-rangey format. No, definitely not. And I, I think that's again part of the um, part of the the way that the format is right now. You kind of have to be, you know, there there are some decks that don't give you that much time. Mono green, mono black, um, even spirits to 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 an extent doesn't give you a ton of time. So you kind of have to. Um, you you can't play these decks that just sit there and dirtle forever. You kind of also have to enact your own proactive game plan, even if it's something like Niv. Like you take Niv and you know you could you could put um, like for example a Niv mirror is probably going to take forty forty five minutes, but um, Niv at least in the matchups where it needs to be fast you can still just play a six six flyer on turn four. You know what I mean? So you can just yeah. interact interact play a six six flyer. And that's just going to kill them pretty quickly. So even the the dirtily mid range deck just has this huge flying threat that they can play pretty early. So yeah, which I feel like generally because a lot of people were worried like when the combo decks were banned, like oh now it's just going to be like mid range like Euro Fiesta. And Hi, that's it, it, to, it, to me, I, I'm <laughs> I, I'm kind of happy that like didn't happen as much. Like obviously we're seeing Euro decks because we weren't not going to see Euro decks, but I do feel like the format plays at like a fun pace. Because all people are like, oh, get out your Sage Rhinos. And I'm like, please don't. Oh, God. Like, I, I don't want to play a format where I end up taking 12 damage of being of Siege Rhinos being cast and, and that being the end of me. <laughs> yeah, we don't got to worry about that. Siege Rhino is one of those cards that people want to be good. So oh, people badly. want it to be good. But Wasn't I'm there an sorry. entire subreddit dedicated to Siege Rhino? I think there were two. Of course. One, one dedicated to being sad when it rotated and one entire <laughs> subreddit being dedicated to being happy that it rotated. It's like it's like those Twitter accounts where it's like, is Siege Rhino still not legal in uh, in standard? And it says, yes. <laughs> it says no every day. Yeah, um, legal no. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just in the year of twenty twenty and how Magic is played, a four mana, decent body Lightning Helix doesn't do enough, and it, not good enough. It's yeah. even Sovereign's Bite can't even go to creatures. Oh yeah, dude. Okay, I played Sovereigns by in that uh, in the uh, standard because I played a Rakdos. Um... Rakdos burn. It's a deck yeah. everybody plays to do their quest, like at the yeah. time where yeah. you log in and you see like play <laughs> twenty was... red spells or black spells, and you're like, yes. oh, I don't want to. I don't want this to take forever, so you just load up the Rakdos deck. But you go sword point diplomacy, risk factor, all your burn spells and stuff like that. That deck was so much fun, no matter how bad it was, because. At the end of the day, you're playing Sovereign's Bite. I mean, what, like, when I play Arena, because I I most I pretty much exclusively play Pioneer, but in the hopes that it you know comes to Arena at a reasonable pace, I do tend to sometimes log in and just do my quests to collect like gold. And now like I'm on Cat Remaster packs, actually have some exciting cards in them. Yeah. Um, but I think that leads to most of my decks being like mono white, mono one drops aggro. And like mono and like Rakdos aggro, which is the deck as I described, because they just keep being like these quest completion decks, which yeah. I'm pretty sure everybody has a few of those on their account. Yep. But they uh, play. You have I, this I deck. Only play mono blue for that reason. Like, and I really <laughs> like the mono blue tempo decks, but so it's not too bad. But yeah, that's the only reason I even play it for is the uh, the blue quests. So, uh, going back to some more fires, uh, are there like? It's something else you want to uh, talk about, uh, Devin. Maybe even just like some tournaments you're excited to play in. I mean, I know in the stream, I think you were practicing for Legacy, so we can also go off of Pioneer a little bit and just start talking about you as a streamer. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, exactly. I've, I've, uh, this week's just going to be focusing mostly on Mm -hmm. legacy, um, because I'm, uh, I'm qualified for the mana traders Swiss. I'm not exactly sure what the terminology is, but the, the monthly event after the the qualifier league. So I'm going to be testing legacy all week for that. I, I tend to, it's weird because legacy specifically is a format where there's a lot more broken cards and I tend to favor the more mid-rangey decks. Um, so I was playing a, a little bit of a deck called Four Color Loam, which is basically a deck that nice. kind of re- revolves around Mox Diamond using using that to your advantage. Um, you can take advantage of it with cards like Life from the Loam and Night of the Reliquary and just having a pile of powerful two drops that you can cast on turn one, Chalice of the Void, Dark Confidants, things like that. Um, and then just having a toolbox package with Night of the Reliquary. That's kind of the deck that that I think I'm most likely going to play in the events. I'm just kind of tuning that throughout the week. Um, but yeah, that's that's an event I'm really excited about because I don't get to play Legacy often, and I do quite enjoy that deck a bit. I love Legacy. I don't play it because I don't have the money for it. So it <laughs> might be fun to dip into it on Modo, but I do tend to like try and pay play the formats that I also play in paper, but I think it's such a fun format. It's so fun to watch. Like, good legacy pilots. Like, I love watching Andrea Mengucci, which I'm sure a lot of people do too. His famous legacy videos. They're just Uh, endlessly entertaining. I'll watch uh, Pleasant Kenobi whenever he does a legacy uh, (laughs) stream, or whether it's through Channel Fireball and stuff like that. Like, I, even though, like, he's not the, you know, the greatest like MTGO grinder for like something like that. He just he's enjoyable to watch and he always plays enjoyable decks. I, I just I always find Legacy and Vintage to be such funny formats. Cause there are times where like I'll look at a deck list or something and if I if I go into blind like go into a format blind, like modern or like even like a random standard deck or pioneer or whatever, um I look at the list and I'm like, yeah, I see what it's doing. I see I see the game plan for the most part. Occasionally I'll look at a legacy or vintage list and I'm like I don't understand. I just see a lot of mox things. I see a lot of <laughs> mana stuff. And a card that I've never heard of in the history of Magic is being played. And I don't understand the synergy at all. Like, sometimes just it's really weird looking for how the decks are kind of built and constructed. But then you watch them being played and you're like, oh. It makes total sense now. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't. I don't like that that realization because <laughs> it opens up things that you you weren't aware of, and you're like, hmm. I. It's like coming to terms with your sexuality when you're growing up, and you're like, huh, maybe I do feel this this sort of way looking at these cards. <laughs> so, um, nothing that might be fun to get into because I'm gonna be honest. Before uh, watching you uh, win the challenge. Uh, I don't watch a lot of magic streams. I didn't actually like know that you were streaming. Uh, well, you know, you as a streaming or content ma- uh, creator. How did you get into streaming? How did you even get into magic? And how did you at one point decide, like, yeah, I want to start streaming this? Okay, yeah. So um, I've been playing magic since Dark Steel, which was I think about two thousand three, two thousand four, around that time. Um, that's kind of where I, where I first started at my local game store. I went to a PTQ first PTQ was Kamigawa block constructed and funny story about that. I didn't know, like I was uh, new to the game and I didn't have, uh, any Umazawa's GTAs and that was the most expensive card. And obviously Kamigawa block constructed every deck was playing four GTAs and I played some terrible modern red deck and I got destroyed by GTA every round. So I was kind of, kind of demoralized in my first PTQ, but 
Um, but yeah, that's, that's really where I started, um, started playing competitively, like really competitively, competitively, probably around 2011, 2012. That's kind of really where I started grinding. Um, my first PT was pro tour born of the gods, which I, which was Valencia. That was, um, modern. And then, um, I've played I played three total pro tours, including that one. And then this, this upcoming one will be my fourth. Um, and then as far as streaming is concerned, um, there was, uh, an issue with my previous job, um, due to COVID. And, um, I decided, you know, I, I looked around for, for a new job to, to just for a little bit to see what was available on the market. And I, you know, I had a little bit of money saved up. So I was kind of like, you know what, let's just, you know, I, I have a little bit of money to get me through, you know, probably six or seven months or so we'll kind of do this full-time streaming thing see what happens um and then worst case i can just you know i i'll go ahead and, and you know have a have a fail safe but i mean yeah it just uh i decided to take the take the plunge into full-time streaming and uh, i've been doing it for the past two months and the amount of support that i've received over the past two months is just through the roof and i i could not have ever imagined that i'd be in a spot where i am in terms of streaming um you know, two months ago, I never thought that I'd be here. So it's, it's, it's been a blast for sure. Yeah. That's super cool. You're wonderful to watch too. I've tuned into a few of them. I haven't watched that many. I don't Thanks. have enough time. But yeah. I, I, <clears throat> I like watching you play and it's always nice to see someone who's actually good at magic, uh, play some games. Uh, I watch a lot of like uh, day nine and stuff like that. And I love day nine with all my heart. Uh, he's not the greatest player in the world and he'll be the first to admit that. So it's nice to get that change of pace to go from, uh, super casual to a teeny bit more spiky but you can still bring that casual and lightness to your streams as well to make it more enjoyable and not like i, I don't want to be sweating with you you know when i'm watching <laughs> yeah i got you i got you i want i want to i want to enjoy the stream i want to enjoy the gameplay and appreciate the competitive outlook and, and the spikiness but i don't want to feel like i am the spike right now and that's not fun <laughs> Yeah, and we do uh, we do donation deck Fridays too, and that's really where you can see some of the the, the the fun stuff come up. We actually, I don't know if if either of you saw the stream or the the deck list that I posted, but I actually had a user submit a it was for Pioneer. They submitted a waste knot deck, and it was for a donation deck, and we actually five would the league and got it posted on on Wizard. So that was pretty awesome. Oh, cool! That's, awesome. that's really yeah. sweet. I have waste not. I keep forgetting that card is pioneer well, legal. There was a there was a it such was such a great uh, card. There were two versions of the Rakdos deck back when Avert was still around. Um, it was that Pyromancer list, and then there was it was also a more controlly Rakdos that played waste not the new Liliana from M twenty one, in like some your Croxes, and then like even like a couple of Hazaret to try and like get in once you kind of you know blow your entire hand. And that list looks super awesome. I would love to play it. Just waste not is like sixty bucks for a playset, and I'm like, hmm, I don't really, don't really feel like doing that right now, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's a super cool list. Um, I don't know if it's similar to what you were playing with the waste not. Um, it had it all like those black yeah. or more wreck. Oh, cool. No, it was it, it was black red, and I think the that we also had some. Uh, what's the planeswalker? Davriel. We had some Davriels in there too. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, so you kind of get your eight rack kind of feel for it, um, which you know I guess you can count Croxa as a pseudo rack. Shri Shrieking Affliction is also Croxa legal. Does it, all. it is legal. It is, yeah, it is. Shrieking Affliction, yeah, you can uh, you can play you can play actual eight rack, except you have no racks, but you just have Devrio and because they were joking in Modern that when Devrio was spoiled, it might become twelve rack now. 
So it's like if you want to play like actual proper eight rack, you could just come to Pioneer, where you can only play eight racks. Goldfish just put up a video yesterday where it was in a, a budget magic for modern. It was mono black sixteen rack. They're playing four four rack, four streaking affliction, four Davriel, and four Liliana Waker of the Dead. And uh, he did very well. I'm not gonna lie. It was, it was an eighty eight dollar list in modern. And uh, how much is the new Liliana? Like five bucks, thought... four bucks. Oh wow! Yeah, it's that cheap, huh? She's not. I should much. start annoying people with that in Commander. <laughs> I am also an avid commander player. I don't know if you play uh, Devin or at least played maybe when you uh, when it was still possible to play at LGS regularly. I've pl- I've played a little bit. I haven't dabbled too much into it. Um, it. It's something that's always been in the in the back of my mind. Um, but yeah, a lot of when I like my LGS, a lot of people that go there do do play it. So I you know watch from time to time. Sometimes I'll borrow a deck and, and jam a game or two. And it's it is a ton of fun yeah. every time I get to play Commander. I keep meaning to finish this dumb Hapatra deck that I want to have for Commander because Hapatra is probably um, one of my favorite cards of all time. Um, actually, real quick, I'll deviate because uh, this actually reminds me of we've had this question before and we've never actually gotten to bring it up in a cast that I believe, uh, but we've wanted to. Not to go with the whole seven or nine cards that the spellbooks usually have. Let's keep it to like three or four. If you had a spellbook made for you, Devin, and we can ask Alex and Matt as well, for the entire, if like if there is a spellbook Devin, spellbook uh, Doomwake, whichever you want it to be named, what would be your four cards that, that are featured that just scream, this is your spellbook, this is your personality, um, whether it's your favorite card, whether it's a card that you topped with, something that just feels you know, close and dear to your heart, Okay. All right, we'll do four. Let's go. <laughs> I got a couple. Um, one okay. obviously Doomwake. Do one Doomwake Giant for sure. Um, yeah. I don't want to go too much in detail, but that the there was a the nickname was actually given to me by um, Andrea Manguchi. We had actually tested for the uh, Pro Tour Atlanta together, and uh, and that's where I got my nickname from. It was actually Manguchi who gave me that. Um, so definitely, definitely Doomwake Giant is up there. Um, probably pick up to pick a card from Mono Blue Devotion back in Standard. Uh, probably, I guess Master of Waves because I, I had a ton of success with Mono Blue Devotion back when it was in Standard. Um, other than that, those like those two for sure. Um, I think. Chain to the Rocks might actually be one. It sounds like a weird one, but I did have um, I, I won a, a Magic Online PTQ with a, a red white deck that I had that a lot of people weren't necessarily playing back then, and I kind of feel like I had that was like a, a deck that I had quote unquote brewed up, and and that was pretty cool to win a PTQ with with that deck. Um, so those three, and then I guess maybe a card from Affinity, because Affinity is kind of my jam back, R.I.P. Mox Opal, but I guess we'll go Arcbound yeah. Ravager. Awesome. I wish Mox Opal was still legal, because then I could play Kethas somewhere. I could try playing in Modern. I wanted to. You can keep, tr- you can keep trying, Brad. We'll support I, you. I, I can play it in uh, Project Modern. <laughs> I can do that. Which uh, is actually a sanctioned format now here on the Discord server. So if you want to come play Project Modern... Uh, you can't. So you can get twinned all day. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I haven't played it yet. I haven't even watched. I, I don't know if we have any twin players in the 
in the server, but probably. We probably have at least one. I read the idea of Project Modern, and I saw Ponder is legal and Splinter Twin is legal, and I was like, I do not think I want to play that format. <laughs> Funny little t- Sounds like a fun time. Funny little <laughs> about um, Project Modern. I'm actually on their server. Uh, we we because I'm an admin on the MTG at home server, so we kind of traded a couple admins back and forth just to kind of coordinate. And the one piece of feedback that was overwhelming after the test event we did for Project Modern was, oh my goodness, they play so much Splinter Twin. Because apparently all of their players that came to us to play did not play Splinter Twin, and all of our players did, or at least a good chunk of them did. So their overwhelming feedback was, yeah, maybe we should rethink unbanning splinter twin i mean end step you just played deceiver exarch tap their land and because it's still their turn you can force of negation their play seems fair right i love magic <laughs> uh matt your spell book do you have anything okay. on hand i have two serious picks and i have two sort of meme picks because that's just how i am that's why i'm so, here so for my serious picks, my all-time favorite card, and this was even true before I started playing Mono Green, is Nissa, who shakes the world. Nissa is just, she's always been my favorite planeswalker. And so having just an absolutely, I would go so far as to say she's busted. Having a busted Nissa planeswalker is just awesome. And then the other really good card that, the other like serious card that I would pick would be Heart of Kieran, because I'm a big vehicles fan. I love the vehicle mechanic, so... Having a two-mana 4-4 that can just do damage for days is awesome. And then my two kind of meme picks, Shaharazad, which I wish was legal in just one format so I could play it. (laughs) No. (laughs) We're not going to do that. We're not going to put like a cloth over the current board state so we could just play a new game. I have spent many, many nights talking with my friend about just every way possible to break a game with Shaharazad and... I now kind of consider myself an expert on Shaharazad rulings because I have read the entire Gatherer page about Shaharazad so many times. My favorite, I'll just share this really quick for anybody who wants to make something really funny in a tabletop game. You can Fae of Wishes in the sub-game that Shaharazad creates. If you're losing, you can cast a Fae of Wishes and grab Shaharazad off the stack in the main game to stop yourself at the life. Uh, that is amazing that i hate literally okay never it. mind i want some place where i can do that <laughs> and, then Did you? Other, oh, boy. and then my other meme pick is everybody's favorite worst card one with nothing because i feel like a deck where you can just turn one throw away your hand and screw with your opponent's mental state is just a card i want to play uh, sounds like a wonderful game of magic that i certainly want to Spe- play Speak of Shaharazad real quick. Did you guys ever watch the Loading Ready Run, like the pre-pre-release for Unstable? Where yeah. there was Spike Tournament Grinder, which is one of the cards there. And you can like pay like... It's almost all the cluster Phyrexian mana. You know, very fitting, and it's a black card otherwise. Uh, which is just the most spiky thing about it. And then you can pay like six life, and you can get a card that is banned in a format from outside the game. <laughs> So he just sits there, dead serious, basics life, and it's like, can someone get me Shaharazad? And the whole room just explodes, and the judge like, please don't, we do not want to deal with this. And they had to make a stream overlay on the spot in order to work with Shaharazad. Oh my That's god. Alright, Alex, what's your spellbook? 
Right, mine, uh, I think all my cards are rares, but I guess that just happens. Uh, my first one is Glorybringer. Uh, I don't know if I already, on the cast, told the story as to how I got into playing Magic seriously through Glorybringer. Um, real I quick, so. Amon Cat Game Day came out. I went to my LGS and I just started playing Magic as I started in Aether Revolt. And I saw the Glorybringer promo and it said above, like, uh, this promo is for everyone who makes it to top eight. And I was like, I'm going to have to have this card. And it was like a couple weeks away. So I put in a lot of effort, like upgraded my deck, tested, etc. Because I need, I was like, I have to get top eight for this Glorybringer promo. And I show up together with seven other people. And I was immediately in top eight because only eight people showed up. So I put in all this effort to get into top eight. And like that's sort of what got me into playing Magic seriously, because I bought like my gear hoax for my control deck, and now I sort of like this step up into like going to actual serious tournaments, because now my deck didn't suck. Uh, speaking of the deck that sucked before, the other one has to be Dynavolt Tower, because I love Dynavolt Tower. It is such a cool card. I brewed around it a lot. Uh, when I first got into Magic, I really thought that I would enjoy like the spell slingy type of decks, so I made a lot of those decks, mostly with Dynavolt Tower. Then I played Storm and Modern, and I realized, holy crap, I do not like this type of magic. But Dynavolt Tower is just a really cool card. Uh, Disallow, just because it's a very, uh, it's a cool counterspell. It's very iconic. I actually have, um, I can explain it to the podcast and show it to you guys. My girlfriend for my birthday made me a painting, which is my favorite painting, Starry Night, with Baral like made into it. So like sort of he casts the starry night. So it's a combination between my favorite painting and one of my favorite magic cards. And I, like I just, I love that card. And then last but not least, obviously it has to be Nicobolus Dragon God. Like the Grixis player. I was so happy to finally get, and with Pioneer also have an eternal format and have a Nicobolus card that is finally good enough for it. Because mm. God Pharaoh was cool in standard. I tried it in Pioneer. You cannot cast a seven drop that just mind twists your that just um, mind rots your opponent. You will lose the game. So, I think it would be those four: Glorybringer, Nicobolus Dragon God, Dynavolt Tower, and Disallow, just because they all have like some memories or funny yeah. story tied to it. I think. Well, obviously, I started uh, off with Apatra. is my all-time favorite card. I love the flavor. Um, I know I went into this one uh, in the first cast. I started playing because I was obsessed with Ancient Egypt as a kid. And uh, that's why I started playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Because Ancient Egyptian card game. My owner of, the LG, owner of the LGS I went to was like, hey, play Magic, new set, I'm on Ket. I'm like, what does that mean? Because Yu-Gi-Oh! doesn't have that much flavor to sets. And then, uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, it's based on Egypt. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll play. Cool. Awesome. So How does the, how does the game work? I don't care. It's Egypt. I want to play yeah, it. It's Egypt. That, that's awesome. <laughs> that's all I need to know. So Hippotro is super cool. Um, and I, I, that was my first, you know, standard deck that I brewed myself and kind of put together and like try to like make work. Um, so that has a lot of, you know, nostalgia for me. The uh, another one is Rekindling Phoenix because I just love that card. Um, I won a lot of uh, tournaments, uh, uh, some F&Ms and stuff like that with it. Um, it was just a very, very good card. The another one is Kethis, um, my favorite deck I've ever played uh, in the entirety of playing Magic is probably Kethis combo and Pioneer. Um, I just love the ins and outs of the deck, how difficult it is to pilot, how many different lines of play there always are. Um, and lastly, 
the scorpion god from our devastation but not just the scorpion god specifically the invocation edition of him because my first ever pre, uh, pre-release was our devastation the first pack i cracked had a nickel bolus uh the chase planeswalker of the set as well as a scorpion god invocation in the same pack and it wow. was that was the first pack i ever opened that's money for for uh, for magic yeah it was it was awesome and uh, i still have the picture that my uh my uh the lgs owner took of me like holding the cards and i was like it's i don't know <laughs> it's just like i just like i have these two cards and all these people around me going like what the, like what like uh, I, the reaction of the table around me was so awesome and it was just that was my first big introduction to the gathering aspect of magic the gathering um so that memory holds a lot of uh uh you know, wonderful, cool feelings in my heart. So, yeah, those are probably my favorite and what mean the most to me. We're going to, uh, I think we're looking at just being about to the time where we want to be uh, before we head out. Uh, Devin, real quick, go ahead and plug away. Uh, where can we find you? Where can we interact with you online? Uh, when are your streams? Anything else you want to go into? Sure, yeah. So uh, Twitch is twitch.tv slash doomwake. Again, it's doomwake with two zeros instead of the two O's. Uh, Twitter is the same. Um, there's also a link to my Discord, which is the, the Doom Room. I know that's uh, that's kind of a weird name for it, but I, I couldn't come up with anything better, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, the link for that's in the, in the Twitch as well. Um, Magic Online username, doomwake. And my stream is typically... I try to go... Uh, Monday through Friday, try to I'm trying to stick to a, a schedule starting at 6 p.m. and usually Eastern time, and try to go till around. Sometimes I, I go till 11 or 12. Sometimes one, depending on uh, depending on what we're playing. Um, but yeah, that's that's usually the stream. Uh, on occasion, I'll stream the weekend events. Uh, I did actually stream both the the Mox qualifier and the Mox finals. Um, and then sometimes I'll do like weekend challenges, um, but that varies again, depending on when the tournament is and, and what exactly the tournament is that I'm playing. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much what I got. Beautiful. Well, we were very happy to have you, Devin. Um, it was wonderful to kind of talk magic with you and talk about mono green. Um, but yeah, that's going to probably do it for us this week. And like I said, as always, we thank everyone for listening and we appreciate the feedback and everything we get on all of our uh, podcasts, posts on Reddit. Um, we appreciate the people coming in uh, to the Discord server to play some magic with us and talk about the podcast as well. Uh, it's really awesome to see new people come in, get into a game with them and be like, hey, I came in here from listening to the podcast and I'm, I'm really happy that I found this the server. Uh, so it's nice to have people kind of go somewhere to play some paper magic again because not everyone wants to invest a second uh you know, a mortgage basically into Moto and things like that to be able to play uh, Magic outside of paper or they don't want to grind on Arena. So, like I said, appreciate everyone. Appreciate having you on, Devin. And uh, that will do it for us. Thanks, guys. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>